in a row cut print no take let's just start two. over and start over. all right hey <laughs> i can't believe she did that what's up take three hello i'm a guy i'm a bride and <laughs> okay okay are you okay 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 a guy, a bride, and a Bible. Hi, I'm Mark. I'm the guy. I'm Andrea. I'm the bride. And together we are going to read the Bible. We're trying to get through this. We really are. And our, our studio, our soundproofing hasn't been delivered yet. So you could probably hear our neighborhood sirens on a regular basis blaring through. Living How's- in the inner city. We do not live in the inner city. Yeah. You insult the inner city by saying that we're in the inner city. We're such in the outer city. This is not the inner city. This is Pacific Northwest. Come on. You know, our Come kids on. can grow up later on. They can say, I grew up in the inner city, surrounded by sirens. Yeah, and I'm sure they will. Yeah. Sirens and trees. Uh, hi, Keith. What's Susan. Up? What's up? What's up, everybody? Hi, babe. Hi. I missed you today. Same. Yeah. We, I started my new career. She's back in teaching I hate her this, classes. this, by the way. Whenever I do this, I'm actually, like, dying inside. When you stamp your fingers? Yeah, because it's supposed to be snaps. Yeah. I don't get it. But. I know. It's supposed to be, like, clapping, but cooler. It's quieter and less disturbing. Oh, okay. So when you like something. Yeah. That's what the kids do. That's what the kids do? Mm-hmm. I got spicy, spicy tuna. No, I got spicy chili. I, I, when I, I taught a uh, little lesson to the kids up at camp. Spicy chili? And I got all done, and they just, instead of clapping, all the guys started going, spicy chili, man, spicy chili. It's, just, it's echo, spicy chili everywhere. I felt this instant baptism of coolness on me to be told that I just delivered spicy chili. That's... Okay, that's, so we got to do two nights worth. Two nights Let's worth. Let's do this. <clears throat> all right, so... Apologize, guys. We had some stuff happen. So um, we're, we're doing two. Taking two. So we will start tonight. First Samuel, chapters 17 and 18. Turn there, your favorite translation, whatever you want to use. Tonight I am using um, Logos and uh, the Lexham Bible uh, translation. And I'm using <clears throat> Ryrie's Study Bible, New American Standard. Version. So here we go. Everyone's favorite story. Let's um, say a little prayer. I said a I, little prayer. I always rush past the prayer. And I feel I so like bad. to prepare my heart. I appreciate you. You to do it all day. I know your heart's like. Okay. Oh, hey, hey, hey! Don't don't inflate me. Don't ready. do that. All right. He's a good man. I prayed last one. You prayed this one. Do it. <gasps> okay. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and just I pray that we can just have appropriate reverence for you, that we can silence all of the stuff, all the thoughts, all the worries of the day. Thank you for your word. Uh, Please help us to be receptive, even though one of these stories is one we've heard many times. I pray that we'll see it with brand new eyes 
and that you will teach us things that we could never learn on our own through your Holy Spirit. Thank you for the privilege of reading your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As a, as a young man, uh, probably around 10 years old, it was one of the first times I read this, I believe. This got me hooked on the Old Testament. This chapter, chapter 17, it is David taking the head off Goliath. This I love this This must be like story. a little boy thing. Because I wasn't like, yes, he decapitated him. Oh my gosh, total little boy thing. Is that really? Because girls were like, no. No, girls. Okay. That must have been scary. All right, let's read and All find right, out. The Philistines gathered their camps for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. They camped between Soko and Azekah in Ephes Demim. Then Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah, and they formed ranks for the battle to meet the Philistines. The Philistines were standing on the hill on one side, and the army of Israel was on the other hill, clear on the other side, with the valley between them. Then a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines, whose name was Goliath from Gath. His height was six cubits and a span. A bronze helmet was on his head, and he was clothed with scale body armor. Can I break this down just a little bit? Wait, the weight of the body armor was 5,000 bronze shekels. Bronze sheaves were on his legs, and a bronze javelin was slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the point of the spear weighed 600 iron shekels. His shield-bearer was walking in front of him. Now you may. Okay. Comment away. All right. I'm not going to stop all the time, but... I know, but I wanted to get through all the description. I read that stuff, and I'm like, what What's is What's a cubit? Yeah. Because yeah. it's impressive. Okay, so the armies were camped on either side of the Elah Valley, west of Bethlehem. The Philistines were apparently on the hill to the south of the valley, and the Israelites were on the hill to the north. A cubit, so 17.4. Goliath's height was 9.75 feet tall, three meters. Just process that. Right, he's almost twice as tall as me. Yeah, but it put it in today's vernacular. What, what does that look like? What is something, if you're in a regular home, an apartment, a condo, and you don't have elevated uh, ceilings, you have an eight-foot ceiling in your house. See, it, that doesn't really do anything for me because I've never, head, I've never been close to the top of a ceiling. Well, I'm just saying his yeah. head would go through the ceiling if he were standing in your house. Yeah. If he were under a basketball hoop... See, again, nothing I can relate to. His head would be hitting the net. I, you know that I can't yeah, even I understand like, catch that, a ball. But you've seen a basketball. I'm trying to think of something I could really relate to. He's 10 feet tall. He's 10 feet tall. Like, we have tall ceilings. Yes, we but do. But upstairs are short. These tall ceilings right here? Yeah. He would be this far from touching the top of it with There his we go. We have an old house with tall ceilings, but apparently not that tall. Well, no. Okay. Not that tall. These are 10 foot ceilings. That helps me. Thanks. Okay. Okay. Goliath's coat of armor weighed about, how much do you think? 250 pounds. Nope. Um, I'm trying to see. 5,000 5, shekels of bronze. Um, you know what it makes me think of? When you're in science class in like grade school. And you did grams. You did like the thing where you yeah. weighed with like the little gram blocks. Yes, I remember that. So you had little shekels and you're putting 
5,000 of them. Um, 125 pounds. I'll I'll double that. Okay. So about me. It's like basically me. You just told the world what you weigh. That's pretty bold. You know what I'm saying though? You go, girl. Yeah. Yeah. I got it. Okay. I got it. Bronze greaves were bronze shin guards, which I think you said shin guards, mm-hmm. but they're also called greaves. I have greaves on here. Okay. We're on his legs. And then a weaver's beam was stout and heavy. This is on verse 7. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and mm-hmm. that weighed 17 pounds. The spearhead weighed about 15 pounds. An attendant carrying a large protective shield went ahead of Goliath. So, like he needed the spear that spear was seventeen pounds. The head of the spear was fifteen pounds. So thirty-two pounds just to like hold the weapon. Yeah. So this is just to give us an idea of you know this wasn't like this guy's kind of tall. This guy is giant. And then I think is. you read. Did you read verse eight? Not yet. I'm getting all right. Done. I'm done. I'll stop until the end. Okay. <clears throat> Goliath stood and called to the battle lines of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to form ranks for battle? Am I not the Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Commission yourselves a man and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and he defeats me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail over him and defeat him, then you will be our servants and you will serve us. Then the Philistine said, I hereby defy the battle lines of Israel today. Give me a man so that we may fight each other. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and very afraid. Verse 12. Cue the Mr. Bean music. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite. This man was from Bethlehem of Judah. His name was Jesse. He had eight sons. In the days of Saul, this man was old, yet he still walked among the men. The three eldest sons of Jesse had gone and followed Saul to battle. The names of his three sons who went to the battle were Eliab, the firstborn. His second was Abinadab, and his third was Shammah. Now David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed the sheep of his father in Bethlehem. Now the Philistine came forward early and late. He took his stand for 40 days. Then Jesse said to his son David, Please take for your brothers an ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread and bring them quickly to the camp for your brothers. And these ten portions of cheese you will bring to the commander of the thousand. Find out how your brothers are doing and take their pledge. Now Saul And they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting the Philistines. David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with a keeper. And he took the provisions and went as Jesse had commanded. He came to the encampment while the troops were going to the battle line and they raised the war cry. Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle lines, one battle line against the other. David left the baggage he had with him in the care of the baggage keeper. He ran to the battle line and came and asked how his brothers were doing. While he was speaking to them, the champion, whose name was Goliath, the Philistine from Gath, was coming up from the caves of the Philistines. He spoke just as he had previously, and David heard his words. When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from his presence and were very afraid. 
And the men of Israel said, Did you see this man who's come up? For he's going up to defy Israel. I'll be the, it will be that man. Uh, it, will, what? it will be that the man who defeats him, the king will make him very rich with great wealth and will give him his daughter in marriage and will make his father's house free in Israel. Now David had spoken to the men who were standing with him, saying, What will be done for the man who defeats the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he defies the battle lines of the living God? And the troops had spoken to him according to his words, saying, So it will be done for the man who defeats him. His oldest brother Eliab heard while he was speaking to the men, and Eliab became very angry against David. And he said, Why have you come down today? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumptuousness and the evil in your heart, for you've come down in order to see the battle. And David replied, What have I done now? I merely asked a question. He turned around from him to another opposite him, and he spoke to him in the same way. And the people answered him as before. Now the words which David had spoken were heard, and they reported them to Saul, and he summoned him. David said to Saul, Do not let anyone's heart fail concerning him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. But Saul said to David, You will not be able to go against the Philistine to fight him, because you are only a boy, whereas he has been a man of war since childhood. And David said to Saul, Your servant has been a shepherd of the flock for his father. If the lion or the bear would come and carry off a sheep from the group, I would go out after it. I would strike it down and rescue the sheep from its mouth. If it rose against me, I would grab it by its beard and strike it down and kill it. Your servant has struck down both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he defied the battle lines of the living God. Whoa. He has moxie. Chutzpah. And David said, Yahweh, who rescued me from the hand of the lion and from the hand of the bear, will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, Go, and may Yahweh be with you. Then Saul clothed David in his own fighting attire and put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed him with body armor. Then David strapped on the sword over his fighting attire, and he tried in vain to walk around, but he was not trained to use them. So David said to Saul, uh, I'm not able to walk with these because I'm not trained to use them. So David took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand. He picked out for himself five smooth stones from the river. He put them in his sheep's bag in the pouch, and shepherd's bag in the pouch. And with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. Now cue the good, the bad, and the ugly. You don't get that, so Western. Then the Philistine came on, getting nearer and nearer to David with his shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he despised him, for he was only a boy with ruddy and handsome appearance, though. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you are coming at me with sticks? Then the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me so that I can give your flesh to the birds of heaven and to the wild animals of the field. Then David said to the Philistines, Philistine, you are coming at me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. 
but I am coming to you in the name of Yahweh of hosts, the God of the battle lines of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, Yahweh will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Then I will give the corpse of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of heaven and to the animals of the earth, so that all the earth may know that there is a God who is for Israel. And all of this assembly will know that Yahweh does not rescue with sword or spear, for the battle belongs to Yahweh, and he will give you into our hands. Ooh, I have goose bumps. I love it. When the Philistine got up and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet this Philistine. Then David put his hand into the bag, and he took a stone from it, and he slung it. He struck the Philistine on his forehead, and the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with the sling and with the stone, and he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And there was no sword for David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword. He drew it from the sheath, and he killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. The men of Israel and Judah got up, raised the war cry, and pursued the Philistines as far as the valley and up to the gates of Ekron. So the slain of the Philistines fell on the way to Shararim, up to Gath, and as far as Ekron. Then the Israelites returned from pursuing the Philistines and plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem and placed his weapons in his tent. Now when Saul saw David going out to meet the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Whose son is this young man, Abner? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. Then the king said, You inquire whose son this young man is. And when David returned from striking down the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul. The head of the Philistine was in his hand. Then Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David said, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Ah, so I got so much in this story. I gotta say, awesome. I gotta say, the um, the felt board version of this not so good is a little more tame. It is only to be made more tame by Davy and the giant pickle. Hey, don't knock VeggieTales. I'm not knocking it. Hey, Phil. Phil. Phil Vischer. Phil Vischer. Love you, bud. Yep. Welcome to the podcast. We'd love to have you as a guest sometime. Check you out, man. We would even totally be down for you to do some of the voices during the story. Whoa. You know, so we would be the narrator. I don't know if he can do that. Or Mike. Naraki. I can't say it. I know. It's okay. Yeah. Either one of you, or if you want to do it together, you know, we're open. We know you're probably, you know, a little bored because you're not doing VeggieTales right now. I'm he, just kidding. He, I know you're, I know. You know he has his podcast. I know. And it's he called, doesn't have another show, too. It's called The Holy Post. Yeah. Anyway, we love you. Okay, so Goliath suggested a contest between individual warriors on behalf of the armies. And this is verses seven, 8 through 10. In ancient times, battles were sometimes decided by such contest. We don't do that anymore. Ephah is a dry measure equivalent to 5.8 gallons, or 22 liters, and that was an ephah of something. Grain. 
E5 green. There's protein in green. So basically, this is the deal. Families had to supply their own meals when they went off to battle. Well, so basically... They didn't have expense reports, right? They didn't have expense reports, but okay. if you didn't have your own food at battle, you were, you, you're just going to be hungry. Okay. So Jesse, like, uh, David, take them some sandwiches. Okay. And then a circle of the camp, a circle of wagons, formed a kind of fortification around the camp. 25, um, free. Um, where does it say free? Oh, that, um, that they will be free. That's part of the, the reward. For the man who defeats him, your family will be free. Free of taxes. Oh, free in Israel. Yeah. And this means free of taxes mm -hmm. and forced labor. That sounds good. Well, do you recall what Samuel said when he anointed Saul? Nope. Israel's like, we want our own king like us. And God told Samuel to say, tell him that he's going to tax him. Okay. Kind of. Little okay. little nuance there in the storyline. Ruddy is reddish. So 43. Am I a dog? Dogs were treated with contempt in that society. Sydney, it's okay. Don't listen. Don't listen. She's feeling much better, by the way. Good. Okay, 46 and 47. David intended that his victory teach that the Lord, Yahweh, is the true God and that he delivers his people. And I'm a little fried right now. Yahweh, what's the Lord? Is that just Lord? Yahweh, no, no. Yahweh's Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh are the Hebrew letters. Right. And there are no vowels. There's no correct pronunciation, just history and tradition. We because say Yahweh. it was such reverence. Correct. So they went from Yahweh to Adonai. Adonai so means mean, Lord. Capital so L. Yahweh just means God? It's the name of God. Right. It does not mean God. The word God is not the same as the word Yahweh. In the Hebrew, okay. it is not. You can't even say God because you're being irreverent by mentioning so his name. So you kind of mean it's like all the names, like his essence. It's just him. It's yeah, it's 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 him. Okay. That's why in if you go way back with Moses, Abraham, um, way back in Abraham's day, he says the name. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Okay, a sling could be used with deadly accuracy. See Judges twenty sixteen. I gotta go see it. Go see Out it. of all these people, seven hundred choice men were left handed. Each one could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. And this was the Benjamite War. See, I said she's doing better than diesel decides to be disgusting. Okay. Um, so, and then the note here says, on the left-handedness, go south paws. I'm one. Of uh, the Benjamites, see note on 315, a stone weighing around one pound could be hurled with uncanny accuracy. Guess how many miles per hour? I know we read this a while ago, but do you remember it? Uh, I don't, but I'm going to go 112. 90. That's close. Um, that's... Faster than I've like ever driven. That's pretty fast. That is pretty fast. Yeah. That's pr that's the average fastball. Mass in, that's the average fastball in America. Force equals mass times volume. Force equals mass times volume. So a pound doesn't sound like a lot, but a pound going ninety miles an hour—that's a lot of force. Pretty much can crush a skull. Ew. Well, it did. Okay. Okay, 54, Jerusalem. This must be a reference to the Israelites. See, it's happening. I'm so, 
sorry, to the Israelite portion of Jerusalem, outside the Jebusite fortress, which was not taken until David had become king. Tent, perhaps a reference to David's home in Bethlehem. The sword was later deposited in a sanctuary at Nob. And then 55, Saul knew David well from contact with him in his court, but evidently he had forgotten the name of David's father and needed to know it to reward David's family for the victory. Because remember, David... Playing the guitar. David was his uh, antipsychotic medication. Correct. Okay. Zoloft. No, antipsychotic. Zoloft is just a mild antidepressant. Saul was like oppressed. Gotcha. Okay, David's friendship with Jonathan. Wait a minute. I get to do some commentary here. Okay, I'm just looking. I'm sorry. I know. I'll make it brief. Okay. Couple things in regards to this story, which I love this story so much. We know from just hearing the taunts and the response even of his own in the camp, David is a boy. He is not some 20-something-year-old young man. Like, how old are we talking? Well, if Jewish tradition were to hold true, you're not considered a man until after your bat mitzvah. So David is probably a young teen. No way. Oh, yeah. I always picture him like... Like mid-20s. No, I think boy, because it says he's the you shepherd think, boy. Well, you I think th- like 18. No, no, he's younger than that. Okay. He'd be considered a man at that age. He's probably somewhere between, honestly, somewhere between 12 and 16. Okay. Doesn't that just make it make more sense? Where they'd be like, I mean, they're Dude. calling him a boy. Yeah, but to me, it's just I like like literal numbers. Okay, look at this way, Saul. Something about like foot four. I'm thinking of the the awesome kiddo, young man, young who man. helps out with our dogs. He is that age. That'd yeah. be like him being like, I got it done. Exactly. That's exactly it. what it's like. And that seems like child endangerment. This is you not know? child endangerment. This is war. But my point being, when Saul goes to put on his armor, it doesn't fit David because Saul is over six feet tall. He's broad-shouldered. He's he's like a right. athletic specimen. He was a broad-shouldered yeah. man. And it's too big for David. So it shows you that his size is much smaller. Gotcha. So that is another proof of his size. Okay, David's fearless. Some people might say, well, he's just young and stupid. It makes him fearless. No, he trusted God implicitly that's something i didn't catch from hearing it and reading it before because i just think you just think about like the cute little sunday school thing yeah but it wasn't here she goes dating through day three it wasn't that he um was just brazen or just like i can do anything like even when he talked about because at first i was like he's kind of bragging about like you know lions and tigers and bears but then he gives all the glory to God. All of it. All of it. And that's why he knew this was a thing. Yep. So here's the so kicker. I'm kind of loving it. This is my I'm... trivia. Oh I love this trivia because it when I like discovered it. sounds like you're really it, a fan of this. When I discovered this, blew my mind. So for Keith, this is for you. You get to do the research on this. I'm actually not going to give you the exact address in the Old Testament where to find it. But I believe very strongly that first off we just established David's confidence right he said the Lord delivered the lion the Lord delivered the bear and the Lord's going to deliver you so if David was so confident why did he pick up five stones why didn't he just pick up one he was tremendously accurate you just read how accurate they were right 
I don't know. I feel like this is like a riddle. This is like, a riddle. I don't want a riddle, baby. Oh, I got to give you the riddle. Now, here's the kicker, guys. This goes back to our when we started reading together, babe. Where did Caleb want to go when he and Joshua crossed the Jordan into the promised land? Where did Caleb want to go? Do you remember? No. Caleb wanted his land of the giants. Caleb wanted no, to take this is your unseen out. realm. No, not unseen realm. The giants, there are five but cities. The there are five cities. No, listen. There are five city states that we read about in Joshua where Caleb picks one of them. I want to go take that one out. So we know that Israel went to war against giants then. Now, Goliath was one of the descendants where Caleb went and took them out. You find this in the Old Testament, and I'll give you a clue. It's in, it, it could be in, let's say it could be in Numbers, but maybe. So we read go, it. Go look for it. But here's a kicker. It says that Goliath had four brothers. So there were four brothers with Goliath there. Oh, so you think you wanted to take them all out? I believe David was prepared to take every single brother out. That's my conviction. That's as close as I'll ever get to eisegesis, I hope. But I believe David was so confident, I will take out Goliath and each one of your nasty six-toed, toad-smelling, breath-barking dog of Philistines. I will take you all out. I believe he had that much confidence in God. And he had one stone for each giant. But when they took out, he took out the big one in Goliath, the rest freaked out and ran. That's my two cents. I love that. I could extrapolate that from scripture. It makes me excited. Forgive me if I'm wrong. The Bible Project, Tim Mackey, I love you to pieces. Tim, <sighs> you're welcome to be a voice in one of those stories too. Thanks, babe. That's very convicting. All right, so we've hacked off some heads of giants and destroyed Philistines. Let's talk about friends. <laughs> Chapter 18. And when he finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan became attached to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Whoa. And that's, isn't Jonathan Saul's son? Yep. Okay. So. Oh. Oh. Who Saul was like, you can kill my son if you want. Exactly. Yeah. Jonathan Saul, could use a good friend, right? Yeah, exactly. This is that covenant brotherhood, phileo, agape level right. love. Not. No, it is not a man loving a man like a man should love a woman. Oh boy. This is exactly what a love between two men could and should be like in terms of you have that, a couple friends like that, right? I, I've, you in life, you will have very few, but you, right. you are blessed to have at least so, one. So, Kevin, are you <coughs> are you listening to this? I hope so, Kev, man. Because Kevin, I've heard a lot about you. Yeah, Kevin and I go back. Kindergarten. Yeah, we we're five years old, so forty-eight years. You stated yourself. Ah, uh, just a little bit older than that. So, this is our forty-fifth, forty-eighth year. Yeah, anyway, here we go. Sorry, sorry, Keith. I'm just saying, you have experience. I'm. I have a real thing here. Yeah. You have experienced like that. Yeah. That significant 
have a friendship. That's all. Absolutely. So Saul took David on that very day and did not allow him to return to Jesse's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Jonathan stripped off the robe that he was wearing and he gave it to David along with his fighting attire and even his sword and his bow and his belt. David went out whenever Saul went with whenever Saul sent him and he succeeded. So Saul appointed him over the men of the war and it pleased all the people and even pleased the servants of Saul. When they were coming back after David had returned from striking down the Philistine, the women went out from the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines with joy and with three stringed instruments. And the women sang as they danced, and they said, Saul has struck down his thousands, but David is ten thousands. Oh, yes. Come on now. Come on now. Saul became very angry, and this saying displeased him. And he thought, they've attributed to David ten thousands, but to me only attributed thousands. What more could he have but my kingdom? So Saul was watching David with suspicion from that day onward. On the next day, the evil spirit from God rushed up upon Saul, and he prophesied in the middle of the house. Now David was playing the lyre with his hand, and on that day, as usual, and the spear was in Saul's hand. Then Saul hurled the spear and thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Twice. Now Saul was threatened by the presence of David because Yahweh was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him commander of a thousand. So he marched in and out at the front of the army, and David was achieving success in all his ways, and Yahweh was with him. But when Saul saw, saw that he was very successful, he was severely threatened by him. However, all of Israel and Judah were loving David. For he was going forth and marching ahead of them. Then Saul said to David, Here is my older daughter Merah. Merah? Merab. I will give her to you as your wife. Only be a brave warrior for me and fight the battles of Yahweh. For Saul thought, My hand will not be against him, but the hand of the Philistines. Ah, that will be against him. But David said to Saul, Who am I? And who are my relatives, the clan of my father in Israel, that I should be a son-in-law to a king? But at the time, Saul's daughter Merib was to be given to David. She was given instead to Adriel, the Meholethite, as wife. Now Saul's daughter Michael loved David. So they told Saul, and the matter pleased him. And Saul thought, I will give her to him, so that she may be a snare for him. And the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Saul using her daughter. So Saul said to David, For a second time, you can become my son-in-law today. Then Saul commanded his servants, Speak to David in secret and say to him, Look, hey uh, David, look here. The king is pleased with you, and all his servants love you. So then, become a son-in-law to the king. You like that? Okay. And Saul's servants spoke these words to David privately, but David said, Is it insignificant in your sight to become the son-in-law of a king, as I am a poor and lightly esteemed man? So the servants of Saul informed him, saying, This is what David said, king. Then Saul said, This is what you must say to David. 
The king desires no bride price except for a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. Ew, yuck. <laughs> Again, not on the felt board. Uh, no, this, this one got skipped over. It wasn't even the Vegetal sequel. Uh, the foreskins of the Philistines to avenge himself on the enemies of the king. Now Saul had planned to allow David to fall by the hand of the Philistines. Verse 26. So his servants told David these words, and the matter pleased David to become the son-in-law of the king as a specified time had not expired. And David got up, he and his men went and struck down 200 men of the Philistines. Then David brought their foreskins and they presented the full number to the king to become the king's son-in-law. Then David gave him Michal, his daughter, as his wife. When Saul realized that Yahweh was with David and his own daughter loved him, Saul was threatened by David still more. So Saul became a perpetual enemy of David. Then the commanders of the Philistines went out for battle. And as often as they went out, David succeeded more than all the servants of Saul, and his name became very esteemed. So it backfired, huh? Totally. All right. Okay. So chapters 18 and 20 describe David's service in Saul's court. The story is told in terms of the, the relationship between David and Jonathan. Um, 18.3, the covenant was unilateral. Jonathan committing himself to the Lord's anointed. Um, 1867, women greeted returning victorious warriors with celebration and singing. They made a mistake in praising David more than King Saul. And then again, Saul, in his pride, his jealousy of David was a significant factor in destroying his relationship with David and in bringing about his own decline. Okay, you know how I feel about, like, the, the stuff about women, right? Sure. Just treat it as property, and like treated as like manipulation things, right? Okay. Um, so as a wife, so Saul had promised his daughter to the slayer of Goliath, but now the reward is conditioned on further requests, conquests. Yeah. Saul was hoping that David would be killed by the Philistines. Well, it's not easy to cut off the foreskin of one Philistine. Oh gosh. But a couple hundred. Okay. And then eighteen, Saul compounded his dishonesty by actually giving to another, the daughter he had promised David. Like, he's just not a man of his word, right? No. And then 21, for a second time, better in a second way, i.e. by an alternative other than the traditional dowry. So 21, instead of... Um, yes. A second way, i.e. Oh, a second way. So instead of a bigger way. And then 25, a thousand foreskins, tangible proof that a hundred... Not a thousand. Tangible proof that a hundred Philistines had been slain. Yep. And then 26, the days, except for he killed twice as many. So he was like, here you go. And then the days, the period bef- before the appointed time for delivery of the dowry and marriage. Um, so the servants told um, before the days had expired. Mm-hmm. So you get the dowry and then... Then you get married? Yeah. There was a transaction involved with arranged yeah. marriages in, in that time. Okay. Usually marriages united families to make them stronger and larger and thus become nations. Okay. It's a big deal. 
It was a big deal. Yep. So. Were you good? We moving on? Yeah. That's it. Love you, David. Oh, Do you have anything more or are you good? No, I'm good. Okay. That was, there's, a, there's a bit we could talk about there. You know, the fact that we know that Michael loved David, that's something that gets underreported, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Okay, Psalm 28 and 29. How are you doing, Keith? You with us? Psalm 28 and 29. Susan, you good? Glad to hear it. Anybody else following? Psalm 28. In this lament psalm, David petitions the Lord to deliver him from just judgment due to his enemies. Sorry. You got it? You got it? Yeah. Confidently predicts their punishment, publicly praises God for the assurance of an answer. I just keep thinking of that guy on Instagram that uses like a lot of alliteration, just making fun of people. I'm going to publicly praise. Perfect. Predict punishment. He's so funny. Um, the assurance and publicly praises God for the assurance of an answer to his prayer and petition. <laughs> there it is. Petitions the Lord to save Israel. All right, here we go. To you, O Lord, I call my rock. Do not be deaf to me. For if you are silent to me, I will become like those who go down to the pit. Hear the voice of my supplication when I cry to you for help. When I lift up my hands toward your holy sanctuary. Do not drag me away with the wicked and with those who work iniquity, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Requite them according to their work and according to the evil of their practices. Requite them according to the deeds of their hands. Repay them their recompense because they do not regard the works of the Lord nor the deeds of his hands. He will tear them down and not build them up. Blessed be the Lord. Because he has heard the voice of my supplication. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him and I am helped. Therefore my heart exults and with my song I shall thank him. The Lord is their strength and he is a saving defense to his anointed. Save your people and bless your inheritance. Be their shepherd also and carry them forever. Okay, so silent, verse 1. Deaf in the sense of not answering. Pit is the grave. Sanctuary refers to the holy of holies in verse 2. And verses 8 through 9, the Lord provides the strength of a fortress and the care of a shepherd. Ooh, I like that. Mm, strength of a fortress. So I've been trying to think of a theme verse for my class. And I didn't want to use the same one as last year. But the one last year I did like the were pressed but not crushed, persecuted, not abandoned, you know. Yep. And I broke it down for several weeks <clears throat> for like what like the specific words in it were. I'm thinking maybe A through 9 is finally it. There you go. Wait, can I practice it? Go. The Lord is their strength. Can I say the Lord is our strength? Is that stretching it? I think you're okay so far. The Lord is our strength, and he is a saving defense to his anointed. But does that mean I'm not his anointed, though? Why right? not? Well, I think, like, the anointed would be, like, David or, like, a prophet. Well, this is not literal in terms of it is figurative there's some some hyperbole in all this so. okay so the lord is our strength so i could talk about strength um a saving defense to his anointed so i can mm-hmm. focus on god so god is our strength he's our strong mm-hmm. de- saving defense save your people and bless your inheritance 
So I could talk about save, um, saving grace, right? Sure. And what our inheritance is. I'm thinking like Ephesians right there, right? Um, be their shepherd also and carry them forever. Because we've been talking this last week about, at least, remember I talked about it, about what it means to be a shepherd and how. Yeah. Um, I think that's kind of cool. In the midst of all the craziness in our world. Mm-hmm. That'd be a good thing to remember. And it's not just saying like, be not afraid. Mm-hmm. In the middle of yeah. hard times. Which I'm not saying we shouldn't listen to that. But when you're really going through a struggle, it helps to have these encouraging words. Mm-hmm. I love that. The strength of a fortress and the care of a shepherd. Because usually it's one or the other. Don't you think? Yeah. I mean, it's hard to be... Strength of a fortress, I mean, that tells you that there's some serious stoicism and unmovability. And doesn't sound like a soft, caring shepherd, right? That's what you, most people don't ever think the two. Do you want to cry? Do you I cry? want to cry right now? Yeah. Not right now. I mean, I do have SMS, but I, know. I don't want to cry right I now. I could make you cry right now. Not really. I'm okay. I got it. Can I still say what I want to say? Sure. Okay. That you model a lot of that to me. Oh, man. I'm not going to cry. Really? Nah. That you're strong and you also take care of me. Oh, shucks. And the girls. Because remember I told you when I first like decided to like really go for who I thought God wanted for me? That'd be me. I thought, well, I might not like really be attracted to whoever this is. That's before me. Clearly. <laughs> You know, I want a nice guy who's going to be a nice dad and really take care of me. Yeah. And nice. Nice. And probably kind of boring. And boring. But instead, you're strong, you're kind, you're passionate. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. And you're only like a shadow of what God is. Oh, yeah. Shadow, like major. Right. Because... Yeah. He's and he's your model. Yeah. So I'm there. Anyway. No tears. That's okay. All right. Twenty nine. This hymn of David ascribes glory to the omnipotent Lord who controls and reveals himself in nature and in blessing his people with strength and peace. The name Lord, Yahweh, occurs eighteen times in this brief psalm. All right. Ascribe to the Lord, O sons of the mighty. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in holy array. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The glory, the God of glory thunders. The Lord is over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is majestic. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. Yes, the Lord breaks in pieces the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf. And Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord hews out flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer to calve and strips the forests bare. And in his temple, everything says glory. The Lord sat as king at the flood. Yes, the Lord sits as king forever. The Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless people, his people with peace. Okay, so sons right. of the mighty probably refers to angels, though some understand this reference to be the people of God. Does yours say? 
Um, let's get down here. Verse 1. Verse 1. O sons of God, and that goes to Genesis 6-2. That means it's the same Hebrew. Created Job 38-7. So this is in reference to what is now known as the um, unseen realm. Mm-hmm. Mike Heiser. Um, and the sons of God are um, not fleshly human people. Um, these are actually angels. Okay. Do you agree with angels? I do. And let me just... Because as he is saying this, ascribe to Yahweh, O sons of God. Ascribe to Yahweh glory and strength. So he's actually telling them to... See, even here my note says heavenly beings. Um, in verse 1, if you're using the study Bible from the from Logos, the um, uh, Lexham English Bible, the footnote there, mm-hmm. the B footnote, actually says... Ascribe to Yahweh heavenly beings. Ascribe to Yahweh glory and strength. So this is a proclamation that even those in the unseen realm have a responsibility to praise God. Okay. Because Yahweh would be their father as he created them, as he's our father and created us. Okay. All right. In holy array, or in the beauty of, verse 2, or in the beauty of holiness... Though the phrase may be translated either way, it likely refers to God's holiness, not man's. It means worship the Lord for the splendor of his holiness. The phrase also occurs in Psalm 96, 110, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. Okay, in the verses 3 through 9, David describes a mighty thunderstorm that rises from the west over the Mediterranean, breaks in full fury over the mountains of Lebanon and Syrian, and down the length of Canaan, and finally passes out of sight and sound into the wilderness of Kadesh. Flames of fire are lightning. And then verse 5, on the mighty cedars of Lebanon, see note in 1 Kings. And then verse 10, the Hebrew word used here for flood is found elsewhere only in Genesis 6 through 11. Thus, David is apparently referring to the flood of Noah. That's what I thought when I read that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Verse 10, he sat as king at the flood. So... I wonder why he thought to include that. What's Just his might, like his power, and that he's absolutely, and yeah. that he has been he's been present for mm-hmm. for generations at that time. Yeah, you just look at each one of these stanzas. The voice of Yahweh is powerful, majestic, breaks the cedars. Cedars is a hard wood. And we have some. We just got this week. It's kind of cool. So for them to to equate just his strength of no man can shatter a cedar you know go try to snap a redwood in half okay you know what is kind of cool by re- reading these two together these two psalms this is so verse 8 he's their strength and a saving defense to the anointed so i feel like 29 is like that strength part like this if this was all god was was like this super powerful mighty kind of scary thing um i think that's what a lot of other religions or even some people who have um kind of a narrow view of 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 the god of the bible yeah think that he is like this scary impersonal being but then we also have the shepherd yeah. So 29, I feel like, really highlights that part. Awesome. It's kind of cool. I like how they went together. 
okay. What do you think? No, I, I totally agree with you. It shows that he doesn't lack any one thing that we might need mm. in this life, whether it's a strong tower. I love the, uh, the, the chorus. It's a mighty bulwark. A mighty fortress is our God. That's what I thought. Okay. Love it. All right. So we have... Okay. Now we're going to move on to Habakkuk 3. And then we're going to start a new book. We love it when we start new books. Habakkuk 3. So Keith, turn there. I am punching it in now. And here we go. Habakkuk 3, Habakkuk 3. Maybe cook. We're going to finish this guy up. Here we go. He's, um, John, we go. Jeremiah was like long-winded. Habakkuk's like, I got three. Yeah. There you go. Um, Praise we, for the person of God. I got a little blurb here. Habakkuk's, Habakkuk's prayer is in the form of a psalm designed to be sung, uh, verses 1 through 19. Yahweh's answer filled the proud prophet with fear and awe, which we saw in chapter 2. And Habakkuk humbly responded with prayer and praise. So chapter 3 is the response to chapter 2. The best thing you could do for yourself, honestly, guys, is read Habakkuk in one setting. Then it's in its proper context. So The psalm here is filled with Exodus imagery. As a prophet vividly recounts the theophany on Mount Sinai, the wilderness settings, and the crossings of the Red Sea and the Jordan. Okay? So you're going to sing this. Uh, no, I don't know the Hebrew melody, so Come I don't want to do it injustice. You got it. You got it. <clears throat> a prayer of... I was kidding. Oh, sorry. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet, according to Shigianoth. Shigi. O Yahweh, I have heard the report of you. O Yahweh, I stand in awe of your works. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the prayers, make it known. In wrath, may you remember to show compassion. God came from Timon, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His splendor covers the heavens. His praise fills the earth. And his brightness was like the light. Flashing rays came from his hand. For him, and there is the covering of his strength. Before him went disease and pestilence went out at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. Then the mountains of old were shattered. The hills of old collapsed. The ways of old belonged to him. Under affliction I saw the tents of Cushan. The tent curtains of the land of Midian trembled. Was the anger of Yahweh against rivers? Was your wrath against the rivers or your fury against the sea when you mounted up your horses upon the, the victory chariot? You laid bare the nakedness of your bow, swearing oaths with the arrows of your word. You split the earth with rivers. When the mountains saw you, they writhed. A torrent of water swept by. The deep gave up its voice. It raised its hands on high. Sun and moon stood still in their place at the light of your arrows. They moved about at the gleam of the flashing of your spear. In fury you marched through the earth. In anger you trampled the nations. You went forth for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of wickedness, laying bare from the foundation 
to the top. You pierced the head of his warriors of his, with his own arrows. They came like a whirlwind to scatter me, their exultation like one who devours the afflicted in ambush. You trampled upon the sea with your horses, the churning of many waters. I hear and my stomach shakes. My lips quiver at the sound. Infection enters my bones. That which is beneath me trembles. I wait quietly for the day of trouble. I come to come upon the people attacking us. Though the fig tree does not blossom, nor they, there be fruit on the vines, the yield of the olive tree fails, and the cultivated fields do not yield fruit or food. The flock is cut off from the animal pen, and there is no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in Yahweh. I will exult in the God of my salvation. Yahweh, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer. He causes me to walk on high places. Ta-da. Okay. I don't have a whole lot. No, there shouldn't be a whole um, lot. Sh Shiggy on us. Shiggy. Obscure, though it may indicate something about the liturgical use of this psalm. Revive your work. Literally, preserve or make alive your work i.e. God's declared program of judgment on Judah and then on Babylon. Habakkuk was satisfied that God's ways, though not fully comprehensible, are best. Verses 3 through 15 relate a theophany, an appearance of God, accompanied by the awesome features of a violent storm. Taman is one of the chief settlements in Edom. Paran is the mountainous area between Edom and Sinai. And then... 3, 5 through 11, God's judgment in days past had included many of the features mentioned here. Compare pestilence in verse 5 with Exodus 7 through 12. Judgmental judgment on the rivers with Exodus 7, 20 through 25. And the sea in verse 8 with Exodus 14. The sun and moon stood in their places with Joshua 10. These past events form the background for God's future judgment on his enemies in verse 12 and deliverance of his people. Kushan was part of the territory of the Midianites. And then 16, Habakkuk nearly collapsed because of this vision of God. The last part of the verse should probably be translated that I should be resting quietly in the day of trouble when he comes up against the people who invade us. Mm. Can I read that again? Um, that I should be resting quietly in the day of trouble when he comes up against the people who invade us. I'm going to read that verse again. I heard in my inward parts trembled at the sound. My lips quivered. Decay enters my bones, and in my place I tremble, because I must wait quietly for the day of distress, for the people who rise, who will invade us. Mm-hmm. So that's not even like fear it's just like acceptance and like you're just like he's just preparing himself for it yeah that would be really sad super sad through and then 17 through 19 though the chaldean invasion would would strip the land verse 17 habakkuk would rejoice in the lord verse 18 who makes his feet like hind's feet like gazelle's feet signifying sure-footed confidence this prayer was sung to the accompaniment of stringed instruments so Despite all of this, yeah. Despite it all, he still felt 
secure. Yep. In God. He did. I think the the structure is clear. I think the purpose it starts at the beginning. As he says in verse two, uh, Cornelius verse two, "O Yahweh, I've heard of your ways. I heard the report of you." Yahweh, I stand in awe of your works. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. So he is saying to Yahweh in his prayers, praying out, I, get, I, was, I remember the stories. You were there. Those powerful things that you did in the desert, the powerful things you did against our enemies, the powerful thing you did against Pharaoh, all those things, revive them in our day today. We are in need of that power and that deliverance again, pour it out on. That's what he's crying out for. And then he spends the rest of the of the the psalm of Habakkuk, in terms of God's power and faithfulness, and it's in comparative, uh, the in comparison that that is God to anything. Nothing compares to him, and it's all so specific on things in here, as if God needs reminding. It's actually to remind the reader that God is powerful enough to take control away from the oppressor and deliver them. And that's really their heart, it's Habakkuk's heart as he cries out with this. I like how he ends it. Yahweh, my Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer. We read that in Psalms. He makes my feet like hinds feet. Hinds feet in high places. Mm -hmm. He causes me to walk on my high places. If you've never read... Hind's Feet in High Places. You must get this book. I started it. I haven't finished it. It's amazing. All right. Where are we going? Oh boy. We're going to push through. We're, we're doing this. Daniel. Daniel? <laughs> we're going back to Daniel? We didn't read it, babe. Well, we read it. We no, didn't record it. We didn't read it. We started it at our former church. Oh, but we never read it in... Oh, okay. And I don't even know if we started... Were they already in that when we came there? Yeah, they were already Daniel in 10. it. They were Daniel 10. Good memory. That was deep. It was beautiful. Yeah. So, we are pushing through because we're not going to... We're not going to fall more behind. It's nope, all good. Yeah. This is what you know, we need. Okay. We, we try, guys. We really do try to keep yeah. up. But we know it's important to read the word. Yeah. So, we we're this. not going to fall behind. Okay. So, Ed... People are going to understand that some of you are. You're yawning. Don't try to talk while you yawn. I'll cover it for you. Okay. The author is... Daniel. Yes. Date is 537 BC. So this is a little bit after Jeremiah. Correct? Um, it's contemporary. This is after in terms of Jeremiah was pre-exile and... During exile. I thought Jeremiah was written like... Because Jeremiah was... 600s. This is 537. Well, my point is Jeremiah existed during the exile. Okay. So everything was written during that time. And Daniel would... And the other thousands of very attractive and fit and young Hebrew population were carried off to Babylon... Okay. And then the remnant was left behind. Okay, so uh, prop, the prophet. Daniel's name means God is my judge, was a statesman in the court of heathen monarchs. 
taken captive as a youth to Babylon by Nebuchadnezzar in 605 BC. So this is, he wrote it in 537, but clearly he's like, this was written, this was about things that happened for several yes. years. Okay. He spent the rest of his long life there as a governmental official and as a prophet of the true God. Yes. He wasn't the only one, but he was an important one. He claimed to have written this book in chapter 12, and Jesus Christ identified him as a prophet in Matthew and Mark. Since he did not occupy the prophetic office, the book is found in the third division of the Hebrew Bible, the writings, rather than in the second, the prophets. Throughout his life, he was uncompromising and faithful to his God. Date. The first attack on the traditional 6th century BC date for the composition of the book came from Porphyry, in AD 232, a vigorous, he lived from 232 to 303, a vigorous opponent of Christianity who maintained that the book was written by an unknown Jew who lived at the time of Antiochus Epiphanes in 175 to 163. This view was widely promoted by scholars of the 18th and 19th centuries for following reasons. It's alleged that Daniel could not have made these predictions since they were accurately fulfilled and could therefore be writ- have been written only after the events occurred. Persian and Greek words used in the book would have been unknown to a 6th century Jewish author. The Aramaic used in 2, 4 through 728 belongs to a time after that of Daniel, and there are certain alleged historical inaccuracies. In answer, we observe the predictive prophecy. That predictive prophecy is not only possible but expected from a true prophet of God, since Daniel lived in the Persian period, he would have known Persian words. The presence of Greek words is easily accounted for, since 100 years before Daniel, Greek mercenaries served in the Assyrian army under Esarhaddon in 683, and in the Babylonian army under Nebuchadnezzar. Recent discoveries of a fifth century BC Aramaic of fifth century BC Aramaic documents have shown that Daniel was written in a form of imperial, imperial Aramaic an official dialect known in all parts of the Near East at that time. Alleged historical inaccuracies are fast disappearing, especially with the information provided by the Nabonidus Chronicle as to the identity of Belshazzar in chapter 5, and with evidence that identifies Darius the Mede with a governor named Gubaru in chapter 5. In addition, how can the use of relatively few Greek words be explained if the book was written around 170 BC when a Greek-speaking government had controlled Palestine for 160 years? One would expect the presence of many Greek terms. Also, the Qumran documents, Dead Sea Scrolls, dated only a few decades before the alleged 2nd century writing of Daniel, show grammatical differences that indicate they were written centuries, not decades after Daniel. Further, the scrolls of Daniel found at Qumran are copies indicated that the original was written before the Maccabean era. Remember, we I remember we watched yes. a sermon on this, and a lot of this was talked about, like yeah. refuting. Okay, the times. In 605 BC, Nebuchadnezzar took Daniel and others as captives to Babylon. See the introduction to Jeremiah. Yes. Hey, boom. 
Because of the events recorded in chapter 2 of the book, Daniel was given a place of prominence and responsibility in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. After the king's death, Daniel apparently fell from favor but was recalled to interpret the writing that appeared at Belshazzar's feast in chapter 5. He was made one of three presidents under Darius in chapter 6 and lived until the third year of Cyrus, 536. His ministry was to testify in his personal life and in his prophecies to the power of God. Though in exile, the people of Israel were not deserted by God, and Daniel revealed many details about his plan for their future. He also traced the course of Gentile world powers from his own day to the second coming of Christ. Okay. Nope. Nope. Uh, Contents, we'll find out. How about that? She's got a long intro. It's not as long as the book. Yeah, but Contents just is like a basic basic synopsis. We're going to read it. I'm anxious to read this, you know. Babe, I like the context. I get that. Okay. Chapter one. Go for it. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, into his hand, and some of the utensils of the temple of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the temple of his gods, and brought the utensils to the treasury of his gods. And the king ordered Ashpenaz, the commander of his court officials, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the lords, youths who have no physical defect and who are handsome and who are prudent in all wisdom and endowed with knowledge and who understand insight and who have the ability in them to serve in the palace of the king. And the king ordered him to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Then, oh, and the king assigned to them his daily portion from the fine food of the king and from the wine that he drank, and instructed that they were to be educated for three years. At the end of their training, they were to be stationed before the king. Now there was among them from the Judeans, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And the commander of these uh, court officials uh, gave them the names called Daniel, Belshazzar, Hananiah, Shadrach, and Mishael, Meshach, and Azariah, Abednego. So, all new names. Daniel went to Belshazzar. Hananiah went to Shadrach. Meshach, uh, Michelle went to Meshach. And Azariah went to Abednego. Now, Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the fine food of the king and with the wine that he drank. So, he requested from the commander of the court officials permission so that he would not defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion before the commander of the court officials. And the commander of the court officials said to Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king, who has determined your food and your drink. For why should he see your face having a worse appearance than the young men who are your age? Then you will endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel, who asked the guard, whom the commander of the court officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days, and let them give us some of the vegetables, and let us eat and drink water. You wouldn't be good at that. Then let our appearances and the appearance of the young men who are eating the fine food of the king be compared to you, and then deal with your servants according to what you see. So he agreed to this proposal with them, and he tested them for ten days. And at the end of ten days... Their appearances appeared better, and they were healthier of body, and all the uh, young men who were eating the fine food of the king 
So the guard continued to hold their fine food and the wine of the drinks, and he gave them vegetables. And so for those young men, God gave to them knowledge and insight into all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had insight into all visions and dreams. And to the end of the time the king had set to bring them, the commander of the court officials brought them to Jerusalem, brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. And among all of them, no one was found like Daniel, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Then they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king required with them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and conjurers that were in his entire kingdom. Uh, and Daniel was there until the first year of Cyrus, the king. So I just, I kind of was peeking at the notes here. There's just a couple things. This is probably a really long thing. If you can say this in one sentence or less. Yeah. Just so we don't end up on like a total tangent. No tangent. Do Why did people have to become eunuchs? What the heck? Really simple, jealousy. Because eunuchs sole purpose was to protect the concubine. Oh. And if you did not have the ability to consummate your temptation, you were assumed to be one who could be trusted to guard the beautiful women Perfect. of your concubine. Okay. That's all I needed. And then okay. this says, um, it's uncertain whether Daniel and his friends were also emasculated. So that's a possibility. Yeah, it's not mentioned at all, but... That's that's at best just a wild guess. I wouldn't think so. Okay, and then verse 7. Verse 7. There are new names. They were all... They were um, given Babylonian names. Not just that, but um, yeah. Babylonian names that contain the name of a heathen god. Bingo. But why? To make them more Babylonian. Well, true, but to to, even like, their names, their, their names reflected the, it, the, I can tell you what they mean. Daniel the means Jewish. God is judge. Hananiah yeah. means Yahweh is gracious. Shadrach means command. Nope. Michelle means who is what God is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Here's a clue. If you ever seen E-L in a Hebrew name, L means God. So, Danielle, Micah-L. Mm-hmm. You know, those are all names of God. That have something with God. Emmanuel. And then 17, only God, not human, human wisdom, can instruct how to interpret visions and dreams accurately. Oh, you might want to say that again. <laughs> only, we live in a time when yeah. dreams are spoken of yeah. as highly scripture. Only God, not human wisdom, can instruct how to interpret visions and dreams accurately. Because I bet, I mean, it's we just got to be careful. Got to be, be careful, careful that we're not using our imagination that we're not using our logic well that probably means this like or our desire the other thing is a lot of our dreams are really just our brain filing things away and getting rid of things it doesn't need so anybody who like bases major life decisions on a dream without counsel counsel looking at the word what are the ways prayer investigation look yeah. at the place you're going right if you just say well i had a dream right about skyline chili clearly god is telling me to move to cincinnati right exactly i don't think so i think you should just go make some spaghetti yeah 
Okay, and then 21 continued. Um, Daniel, who was among the first captives taken, lived to see the official end of the exile in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia. Daniel did not die then, but lived a few years longer. Yep. All right. So just a little intro to Daniel, nothing major that I have. Mm, we're fine. We've also studied that a little bit, so I think it helps. But I remember I watched I watched some video on this. Um, let me guess. Oh no, what we gonna do? King likes well, Daniel more that. than me. No, but or maybe it was oh, just the no, sermon we listened what we to. Gonna do? Gotta get him out of here. But just that it was, they were like, basically what we talk about, like for discipleship, Yeah. they were forced to be into like, discipled into Babylonian culture and religion. Yes, because that's like, how they took over the world. Right, for three years. Like they had some major training um, on things like astrology and mm-hmm. what did it say? I see, I tried to skip some of the stuff. Agriculture, astrology, um astronomy math and the acadian 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 language mm-hmm. so i just think it's amazing like if i was in that situation for three years yeah i i bet you that i would struggle, struggle to really yeah. stay faithful and even to really remember who i was well look how that's they, pretty beautiful to me we get to see how they stayed faithful though yep it wasn't by chance no, as if God hand-plucked them, put them there, just so he could demonstrate his power in captivity. Uh-huh. Oh, man, I could go on a tear. Yep. I'm babe, not going to do is, it. I'm not going to do it. Yeah. It's late. This is so worth it. I'm going to need some coffee in the morning, but it's so worth it. Okay. Luke, we're starting a new book. We're still we're more books. reading. Oh, Keith, I'm so yeah. sorry. It's so late, man. Uh, he can pause this. I okay. thought we were wrapped. Two new books. In one night. It's so good. Okay. Just just chapter one. It must be long. Because we're catching up on two days still. This is our New Testament time. No, oh, man. Okay. Reading. So, Dr. Luke. That's all I really remember. Written in 8060. Luke was a beloved physician. And that comes from Colossians. For close friend and companion of Paul was probably the only Gentile author of any part of the New Testament. We know nothing about his early life or conversion except that he was not an eyewitness of the life of Jesus. And that comes from Luke 1, 2. Though a physician by profession, he was primarily an evangelist, writing the gospel, this gospel, and the book of Acts, and accompanying Paul in missionary work. He was with Paul at the time of the apostles' martyrdom, but in his later life, of his later life, we have no certain facts. In his prologue, Luke states that his own work was stimulated by the work of others, that he consulted eyewitnesses, and that he sifted and arranged the information under the guidance of the Holy Spirit to instruct Theophilus in the historical reliability of the faith. This is a carefully researched and documented writing. It's my personal favorite gospel. Is it? Yeah. Is it That's a good one to be a favorite of. Yeah. Though specifically dedicated to Theophilus, it's slanted toward all Gentiles. He displays an unusual interest in medical matters. Say. That's my jam. Booyah. Much attention is given to recounting of the events surrounding the birth of Christ. Only Luke recounts, records the annunciation to Zacharias and Mary, the songs of Elizabeth Mary, the birth and childhood, John the Baptist, the birth of Jesus, the visit of the shepherds, blah, 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 blah. He also shows an uncommon interest in individuals, which is another reason I like it, as seen by the accounts of people like Zacchaeus, the penitent thief, 
etc. Um, there is in this gospel a special emphasis on prayer. The prominent place given to women is another distinctive. See, it's like all my stuff that I'm interested in, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Here it is. Also interested in poverty and wealth. Oh, you just can't get away from it. Yeah. It preserves four beautiful hymns. This is a gospel of the compassionate Son of Man offering salvation to the whole world. Since the conclusion of Acts shows Paul in Rome, and since the Gospel of Luke was written before Acts, Luke's Gospel was probably written about AD 60, possibly in Caesarea during Paul's two-year imprisonment there. The theme of Luke's Gospel is Christ the Son of Man, and it narrates many of those events as demonstrate that demonstrated Christ's humanity. Okay. Okay. Love it. There's only 80 verses. See, when I started to read this, this is when I was like really getting into read the Bible. And I thought I would highlight everything that I read. And I thought, this is ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, no, I went on to two. Okay. We got this. Okay. Preface, the method and purpose of writing. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. It seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. The announcement of the birth of John the Baptist. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah, and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren. I mean, possibly because of her. It could also be because of his problem. Come on, now she's barren. they were both advanced in years. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, as standing to the right of the altar of incense. Zacharias was troubled when he saw him, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and to the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous, Mm -hmm. so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. And the people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. 
When the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me, to take away my disgrace among men. The Announcement of the Birth of the Son of Man Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the Yay. descendants of David and the virgin's name was Mary and coming in he said to her greetings favored one the Lord is with you but she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was the angel said to her do not be afraid Mary for you have found favor with God and behold you will be you will conceive in your womb and bear a son and you shall name him Jesus and he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. Mary said to the angel, How can this be since I'm a virgin? The angel uh-huh. answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age. And she who was called barren is now in her sixth month, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bond slave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leapt in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has Regard for the humble state of his bond slave, and behold, for behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. The Advent of John the Baptist. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. And it happened that on the eighth day they came to circumcise the child, and they were called, going to call him Zacharias after his father. But his mother answered and said, No, indeed, he shall be called John. And they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by that name. And they made signs to her father as to what he wanted him to be called. And he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows, His name is John. And they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was open and his tongue loosed, and he began to speak in praise of God. Fear came on all those living around him, and all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. 
All who heard him kept them in mind, saying, What then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. The oath which he swore to Abraham, our father, to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him in all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on. Bef- uh, well, you will go on before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give to His people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. And the child continued to grow and become strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert until the day of his public appearance in Israel. Hmm. I just finished the chapter. Very good. So, how are we feeling about the setup? I like the setup. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. The promise of Messiah being complete, and that's what I love about Luke, because he does go into like the narrative based on testimony. So he wasn't there when the the telling comes to Elizabeth, and that John's going to be on the way, and they have to name John and all this business. Um, the compound of this whole setup before Messiah even comes is so beautiful and mm-hmm. so detailed. And I I, I kind of like that it's only in Luke. Mm-hmm. It's not a share. So each gospel has like their own little niche. For me, the, the coming of Messiah is awesome. One and then two, the story of Christmas, my favorite coming up. Um, it's awesome. The revealed prophecies are in here in the middle. Um, as you go through it from Mary, where it says, Mary's to him, a praise God, where she's singing from verse 46. Mm-hmm. That song, now I would like to hear that song being sung. Can you sing it? No. Mm-mm. You did J.J. Heller? Babe. No? Babe, I gotta get up. Oh. Really early. All right, so we're gonna wrap it up then. So we want to go ahead and we'll leave the commentary out of this because it's beautiful. Um, we will try to be more faithful tomorrow. Hey, I still got a lot out of it. I just don't feel. I would, you know, I get a lot of it's eighty verses of com- of us commenting. We don't have to come on time. Do you have any questions or anything that you stood I, out to you? I have spent some time studying. I mean, I still always have more to learn, but um, I feel like um, maybe we can actually start the next one by. If we think about anything tomorrow that comes to mind, or maybe a oh, quick little recap. Touchback. Um, I just I liked some. I had I noticed something I hadn't really noticed before. Um, so the prophecy about John by his dad. Mm-hmm. Um, 
uh, what was it? To give, so you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way, right? Which I remember mm-hmm. that. To give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of sins. But 78 stuck out to me. Because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us. To shine upon those who sit in darkness. But just that, um, partly probably because he had experienced God's mercy by being given a son. Mm, mm-hmm. um, despite his skepticism. So mm. I think, I don't know. I just, that stuck out. Tender Mercy has just been a word on my mind for the last few months, like I told you. So anytime I see it, I try to like look more at it. Mm-hmm. Um, to guide our feet into the way of peace. So again, it's that like, the ten, the strong, mighty part of God, who's also tender, and guides us like a shepherd. Mm. I think I just see a lot of these parallels. So guides our feet into the way of peace. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it just that stuck out to me. Direct our feet into the way of peace. Yeah. That is, it's, I. I've never really. There, are, there's a few verses that come to mind. In regards to something similar to this, right? Mm-hmm. In Psalms, um, Twyla Paris, I'm so sorry you sang it beautifully. Twyla, should you listen to this? Um, blesses, bless are the feet of him who brings good news. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, in Romans, that the, um, that, uh, the God, God will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ephesians 6, um, your feet um, put on the shoes. Uh, I'm totally blanking it. I'm totally blanking it on the... Basically, the, the, the sandals of peace is what we used to call it when we were kids. That wherever you step, you're going to bring the gospel of peace. Uh-huh. You know, so we see all these beautiful messages that have to do with where we step. Psalm 119, your word is a lamp and to my feet, and a light to my path. So I do love that, to direct our feet into the way of peace. Mm-hmm. Especially where we're at today. As we're recording this, um, this is uh, August 31st, 2021, and mm-hmm. we have seen a lot of things on the news in regards to Afghanistan. Yeah. Um, and is not peaceful, which has caused a lot of unrest, not only in Afghanistan, but here in America and also with some of our allies, a lot of disruption, a lot of pain, a lot of unrest. There is no peace. I can't even imagine what it's like for people right there right now. I can't either. And what's important still here, even this, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to direct our feet into the way of peace. Even today, that is a prophecy for today, I believe. It's even more than just the first coming of Christ. It's the promise of what he brings. Yeah. So I'll quit rambling. But then um, there's a lot in here in terms of some Hebrew tradition with marriage and, and childbirth and um, other things like that that could be touched on, but not too important right now. So these are beautiful. This I think this should be included in anybody's Christmas story when they go to read Luke in the next coming weeks as Christmas is on the way. Yep. 
Love Christmas. You know that. You know love Christmas. So we shall say goodnight. We shall say thank you. Yep. Well, guys, that's going to wrap it up for us. We are going to get back to you on the next uh, next time we're reading. We'll be a little shorter. Uh, Lord willing, we'll be able to make sure our schedules allow us to just do one series and not two days worth. But we love reading the Word so much. We love reading with you. Thank you so much for being part of this with us. I'm Mark. I'm the guy. Andrea the Bride. And we've just read our Bible. Have a great night. Lord bless you and keep you. Good night.